Thanks for joining us today at Unstuck Your Business Podcast. You went into business with a passion to explore your skills and talents and show the world what you can do to contribute into our society and into our economic ecosystem. But a couple of years into the business and your drive and motivation has dwindled and now you feel stuck. When you find yourself at this crossroad of thoughts and emotions, how do you deal with it? In this podcast, we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship to help you unstuck your business. We are your hosts, Ines Nazario Vega from Business Essentials Virtual Assistance. And Edith Duran from Reason Marketing. When you are a business owner and you start to scale and grow, you also have to start thinking about staffing your business. Deciding between contracting a 1099 versus hiring a W-2 employee is a key business decision. And joining us once again today is Justin Monisi of the Monisi Law Firm in Central Florida. Justin is a seasoned attorney adept at simplifying complex legal matters, employing a pragmatic approach to contract drafting, negotiation, and overseeing substantial business transactions driven by a commitment to delivering exceptional service and clarity to his clients. So Justin, thanks again for being our, our guest. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and your firm. Thank you for having me again, Inez and Edith. It's great to see you. Looking forward to today's podcast. So um, as you mentioned, uh, first of all, I'm managing partner at Munizy Law Firm. We have offices throughout Central Florida. We do serve clients statewide. Um, there's really three things that we do, business law, real estate, and title. And when it comes to business, if you can think about the growth phase or growth cycle of a business, you've got startup, you've got ongoing operations, and then you've got sale. And we represent businesses in all aspects of that. So from startup, uh, we can help with setting up your, your business properly, making sure your organizational documents are set up right. For existing businesses that need ongoing legal counsel, we do have a, a fractional counsel program where we're basically like your in-house counsel. Um, and we can help you with your day-to-day -day legal needs. And then, of course, on the uh, tail end, if you're looking to exit your business, we handle mergers and acquisitions. And so that's the process of putting the buyer and the seller together, making sure the closing goes smoothly, and really everything in between. So, yeah, that's what we do specifically with business law. Awesome. That, okay. that is so interesting. So I what I hear you saying is you really take people from, you know, their idea of running a business to through the path of where they want to be through the legal channels. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's a whole world of unknown unknowns, things that business owners have no idea about. They know what their product or their service is, but they don't know necessarily all the nuts and bolts of how to stay in compliance, how to stay out of trouble. And that's where we come in to partner with them for that. And, and you'll be surprised how many of the businesses out there have never gotten legal counsel and then, you know, a couple of years down the road when they're starting to grow and they're starting to make an impact on the community and, um, and all of a sudden they find themselves in some kind of legal situation. So, yes, it's something that any, I mean, our audience are small business owners and I really, really cannot emphasize enough about having a legal counsel to support you um, throughout your business when you started up, when you're in the middle of it and when you're scaling it. So, um, I thank you, Justin, for being out there for the business community. Yeah, happy to do it. It's something I'm passionate about. Absolutely, because, uh, you know, I've heard this so many times on the whole spectrum of every kind of legal um, 
specialization is when you're in front of a, a, uh, any kind uh, a judge, you know, uh, anyone in that role, what it comes down to is they'll say ignorance is no excuse. <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't know is not an excuse, does not excuse you from any kind of, you know, fine or, or, uh, trouble basically. So getting this information out there and in front of people is really important. So to our audience, please listen in. We're here to help and, um, attorneys like Justin Minizi are out there to help you. So let's get on with our questions and pick, uh, pick your brain a little bit. Um, and let's start with, well, you know, let's talk about contract versus hiring. What's, what's the difference in uh, contract employee and hiring a W-2? Yeah, so there, there's a lot of differences. And if you want to break it down, there's really kind of four areas that you can think of in terms of the differences. So that would be the roles and the responsibilities. So those are different between independent contractors and employees. The type of compensation, the way they're compensated, uh, for instance, um, the types of agreements would be the third one. So the types of documents you're going to use to memorialize the relationship. And then fourthly would be the laws that affect the parties. Um, they're drastically different. So there's a whole host of state and federal laws specifically to uh, address the employer-employee relationship that wouldn't apply in an independent contractor relationship. So those are sort of the four areas that you can look at for differences. Based on that, um, you know, 1099s, and we have done this presentation in the past, by the way, to the audience. So Justin and I have done the contract versus hiring presentation several times yeah. to the business community. Um, but the legality behind the 1099 and the W-2 employees is very interesting because in the, in the compensation, for example, when you're compensating uh, a 1099, you're not taking out taxes, you're not taking out all these other extras that you would need to do with a W-2 employee. Right. And um, and sometimes um, small businesses, they don't understand how the compensation should work. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that if you can? Yeah, no, absolutely. So you're, you're exactly right. The compensation um, is, is a huge difference, right? And so independent contractors, just broad strokes, okay? So independent contractors normally are getting paid a either a flat fee or maybe even a rate uh, per project or per hour. Um, but like Ines said, it's, it's not with taxes being withheld. And so you're not taking out Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid taxes. You're not doing that. You're not doing withholding. Um, you're literally just giving this person or this company, in some cases, a fee. And they're responsible for taxes and the compliance with all federal and state laws. So mm -hmm. uh, more of a hands-off approach for the contractor who's contracting out the work. It's kind of cut and dry in terms of here's what you're going to do. Here's the fee you're getting paid. And that's it. You are responsible for the rest, independent contractor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's something, I mean, the, the legal aspect of it and the financial aspect of it goes hand in hand because when you're a small business owner and you're trying to start staffing your business, um, when it comes to budgeting for that, you need to take all both sides in consideration because just because you pay $25,000 a year to a specific W-2 employee, there is a lot behind the scenes that takes up in the $25,000 that may end up paying $30,000, $35,000 because you have to add on a lot more versus right. when you're doing a 1099 if you tell them you're going to get you know compensated $25,000 that's it $25,000 um so i really i really encourage small business owners to take a closer look when you're starting to step what is the financial impact when hiring and staffing your 
your business. Would you agree? Uh, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Um, you need to weigh the pros and the cons. Um, certainly, um, you can't do an independent contractor relationship in every instance, but in a lot of instances, it can save you a lot of time and money as an employer. Um, mm -hmm. One other thing I'll add to that is with respect to a, a compensation. So the federal government has, uh, as we know, minimum wage uh, requirements, right? Um, they also have overtime laws. And so states typically, they will either mirror the federal requirements or they'll go further and impose additional restrictions. In the state of Florida, Florida basically mirrors what the federal government says. And so they say, whatever Department of Labor says, that's what we say. And so when it comes to overtime, there's this distinction between exempt and non-exempt employees. So exempt employees are exempt from having to be paid overtime and non-exempt, of course, have to get paid overtime. Um, there is a legal determination that has to be made by the employer to figure out whether they're exempt or non-exempt. And that is so crucial to get that part right, because if you if you mess up on that and it's found out that you have not been paying overtime, um, not only will you have uh, potentially p penalties and interest, but you also have attorney's fees if the uh, employee goes to an attorney and brings a claim. So it can be very, very costly. Now, as that relates to independent contractors, if you accidentally classify uh, an employee as an independent contractor, the risks are even bigger because not only have you not paid um, overtime potentially, but you haven't even paid into their taxes. So mm -hmm. again, big risk there. Um, you want to make sure that determination is taken seriously and that you get it right. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, um, so another um, differentiation between the contract and, um, and you know, the, the W-2 employee would does it matter if it's a long term? Because I, I, I don't know. I, I would guess that you assume a 1099 employee might be short term, temporary. But does it? Can you have a 1099 employee that's a long term um, uh, provider, service provider? Yeah. yeah. So and, and as you want to, and as you want to address that one. <laughs> no, I'll let you address okay. that one. <laughs> yeah, the answer is yes, absolutely. And so there's no like. There's, there's no, no Yeah, there's no limitations. So you could have an independent okay. contractor who's doing services for years and years, you know. Um, there's no term limit on that. Oh, and okay. that to me is semi benefit because as people know from listening to our podcast, I'm a virtual assistant agency. Yeah. So yeah, I can have a client that can use our services for 10 years for oral daycare and still be considered a 1099 provider. Exactly. Um, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Agnes. Um, coming to legalities between being a 1099 and a W-2, when is it that a small business can get into trouble when treating a 1099 like a W-2 employee? Yeah. Because that's it's a fine line there. Yeah. And I think sometimes uh, small businesses, without the knowledge, may start treating 1099 like W-2, and then it gets... Yeah gets into a gray area. Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we just talked a moment ago about the risk of treating an employee like an independent contractor. Now you're asking about the reverse situation and there is liability in both directions. So if you take an independent contractor and accidentally start or on purpose start treating them like an employee, um, what the federal government will do is say, okay, uh, you want to treat them like an employee, we're going to act like they're an employee. And now you have to do everything that you would have to do for an employee, right? And so 
not not only just the the overtime and the so, you know and the taxes and withholding, but also consider all the labor laws, right? Consider um, the the EEOC, right? Uh, FMLA, uh, FLSA, ADA, all these like three and four letter acronyms that you have to start thinking about uh, when you're an employer. And so, yeah, absolutely, uh, definitely consideration to think about. Yeah, and how about how does that work when it comes to like liabilities? Let's say a 1099 has an accident on it on the premises of yeah. a employer uh, how will that come into play right so um that's a great question and again a lot of it's going to come down to was this per it, the facts really count here so was this person being treated as an employee or were they actually truly an independent contractor and one of the ways that we can know that is by looking at the documentation and so that was one of our points here in the in the four key di uh, distinctions so the types of documents that are used uh, typically with an independent contractor, you're going to have a independent contractor agreement. And that agreement is going to, if it's drafted properly, it's going to discuss liability and it's going to discuss things like indemnification. Indemnification is just a big word that means um, here's who is going to take the heat for a claim of some sort. So the claim could be uh, an accident, could be an injury, right? It could be a breach of contract case. It could be an infringement case, but your independent contractor agreement should spell that out and say, um, look, the independent contractor agreement, if they get hurt on our premises, they are not an employee. They are not, the employer is not responsible. The independent contractor is assuming the risk, if that makes sense. So it's really the liability falls on the 10, on the, on the contract and not on the employer, even if there could be some safety hazards. That's right. That were caused by the employer. So that's, that's something to keep yeah. in mind, especially for myself as a 1099, not that we work on premises, we work, we all work virtually, yeah. but, um, but anybody out there that is offering freelance uh, consultations or freelance work right. at the uh, employer's premises is something to keep in consideration that if you fall down the stairs, it's on you. Right. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> even, if the, even if the stairs were wet and slippery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And an employer can do certain things with, with W-2 employees to um, maybe paper over risks and things like that. But um, the government will not let you as an employer tell your employee, hey, I can do whatever I want and you can't sue me. They're, they just won't. They won't let you do that. Federal law preempts that and says, look, there's certain things that are not waivable. You cannot say, look, as an employee, you waive your right to OSHA protection, for instance. Um, you can't do that. Whereas with an independent contractor, they're not an employee and federal law applying to employers and employees don't apply in that situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, another area that is um, it's kind of controversial, but it's something that we need to um, talk about when it comes to um, contracting versus hiring. There's a lot when it comes to discrimination um, laws and things of that nature. And um, it, I don't know if you want to elaborate. I know in our presentations that we've done in the past, it's been one of those areas and where yeah. we elaborate a little bit more because there, there's like under layer legalities mm -hmm. when you violate certain things that um, like at least we said discrimination either by race, sex or what have you. And there have been instances in where, you know, a sub uh, a contractor may subcontract. I work as um help as well. Let's take for example, um, you know, this is a construction company. There's a bigger a, a big project. They subcontract um people, and then for whatever reason, the employer doesn't like the people that this contractor is bringing in. Right, and there's could be some underlying discrimination going on. Um, 
how or what should a small business be aware of when dealing with situations like that? Yeah, so really good question there. Um, so there's a whole host, like I was mentioning earlier, there's, there's a whole host of federal and, and even state law that applies um, with respect to anti-discrimination. And the, one of the areas you see this pop up a lot is when it comes to terminating an employee. Um, and so there's this phrase, you know, hire slowly and fire quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's true. You want to make sure you you, uh, you hire, you take your time in hiring somebody, make sure they're the right fit. Um, firing somebody, though, is still difficult. Mm -hmm. You can't just snap your fingers and let somebody go. Um, if if anybody who's listening has had to do this before, they know that it's a careful thing that you need to think about, um, even if it's an at-will situation, which in Florida is, is usually the default setting. Um, legally, you can let them go, yes, but what are the ramifications when you do that? Are they going to bring up the, the circumstances surrounding how they were terminated? Are they going to bring a discrimination case? Um, so that's, a, again, huge consideration when uh, you have employees. And if you have an independent contractor, you don't have to do that. If your contract spells out the ways that the uh, independent contractor can be terminated, you're just going to follow that. And um, it's very, very clean, very cut and dry in most situations. So, you know, if, if there's a termination of the independent contractor without cause, the contract will specify how, how and when that can be done. If there's any advanced notice that needs to be done, but there's not this concern about a uh, inquiry into discrimination because they're a contractor. I mean, it's interesting. I, and I think, you know, not that we like to advocate to any effect on um, people doing 1099 because you can get rid of them quickly enough if you don't like them, but it's something to definitely keep in consideration when making sure. that decision for sure. Right. So Justin, in your opinion, um, what would you propose to a business that is just in that growth mode? Um, what do you think is the best option? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So it's, I would say that it's not necessarily an either or proposition. It's usually a both and situation. So what I mean by that is um, I think most companies are going to have certain roles that really do need to be filled by employees. Okay. Um, you can't outsource 100% in, in most cases. Sometimes you can. But there, there may be situations where you, you've got an administrative person who you really do need in, in the office and you're going to treat them like a, a true employee. OK, so mm -hmm. you need to segment out your your workforce, so to speak, figure out those groups that can be contracted out legally. And mm -hmm. again, you're going to need some assistance in making that determination. So that's something we can help with. But figure out uh, what can be outsourced legally. And then the next step then is to make sure that the relationship actually matches what's on paper. So if you have an independent contractor agreement that's ironclad and it's solid, that's great. However, if in practice you treat the person like an employee, guess what? The independent contractor agreement is not going to help as much um, because you are considering them. They're going to be considered what's called a de facto employee, which means you're treating them like an employee. Federal law is going to say, okay, they're an employee, regardless of what your agreement says. And I think that happens more often than we care to admit because as business owners or, you know, people that are contracting people, even without realization, even not intentional, you start treating independent contractors like employees and, yeah. you know, the supervisory level of treating that 1099, the providing them with resources to do their work right, um, can start um, to kind of uh, transition into treating that um, particular 1099 as an employee. So, yeah. 
And, and there's another consideration too. Uh, so there's this legal doctrine of vicarious liability um, that essentially says that the employer is responsible for the acts or negligence of the employee. So mm. if somebody is considered to be an employee of your company, you are in effect, they're an extension of you. And so what they do, you have to answer for. Oh, okay. So liabilities that they're creating, you know, whether they're going and doing something negligent on a, on a job site or they're um, saying things that they shouldn't be saying, you are going to bear the brunt of that liability through the doctrine of vicarious liability. Um, again, with an independent contractor, not so much the case. You're going to have, you should have limitations of liability, indemnification, assumption of risk, those sort of provisions in the document that are going to make it so that you are not responsible for what the independent contractor does wrong. Okay. All right. Um, well, as you know, you've been our guest here before. We always like to leave our audience with the three takeaways from the topic. So in your opinion, Justin, what should be the three main takeaways from this topic? Sure. So if you gleaned um, nothing else, I would say the one most important thing, uh, the first of three most important things to consider is this is a very important decision. And so take your time, um, make sure you consult with legal counsel before you go ahead and make a decision on hiring an independent contractor or classifying somebody as an independent contractor. Um, there, there's not a need to rush. Even if you are looking to fill a position quickly, take your time. When you rush, that's usually when mistakes get made. And so, um, you know, work with a company like uh, Inez's, if you can, where they have it down pat and they're taking on the risk. They're giving you the independent contractors to use. Um, if you're hiring a one-off independent contractor, again, take your time, make sure it's done right. Make sure your documentation is solid as well. Right. The second thing I would mention is, like I said earlier, this is really not an either or proposition. Um, you may need employees and independent contractors. And in both cases, you need documentation set up properly. So if you have a W-2 employee, they need to have some standard HR documents like, you know, their job description, offer letter, uh, exempt versus non-exempt classification, maybe some confidentiality agreements or uh, restrictive covenants. Um, in either case, you need to make sure your documents are set up properly, but take your time in figuring out the segments of your workforce, the employees versus the independent contractors. Yes, as you were saying this, I, I thought about, you know, the different type of companies and how they should probably not that, sh that they should, but uh, think about structuring their staffing. For example, like uh, seasonal companies, mm -hmm. um, I think it will, I mean, in my opinion, my humble yeah. opinion, it may be best for them to go the independent uh, contracting way because they may not always have work for them for one thing. Right. Um, the liabilities are a lot less and, 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 um, and I think it will be a better option for those type of industries that are seasonal to... Yeah to have a better balance between W-2 and, and 1099s versus when it's another type of, like your type of business, a law firm or a services industry yeah. firm, um, then that proposition needs to be a little bit more careful taking in, into consideration. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a great point and I would agree with that. Um, and, and the third thing kind of ties in with that, you need to consider the financial implications of this. So like mm -hmm. Inez was saying earlier, the cost of acquiring and employing uh, a W-2 employee is not just their salary, right? There's all these other costs that are included, um, not to mention the time that you're investing in training them and equipping them. So mm -hmm. huge price tag there. You, you want to weigh that against the cost of hiring an independent contractor. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that needs to be uh, you know, a decision that's not taken lightly. You should probably get your accountant's advice as well, in addition to your lawyer. Um, 
So I would just stress, again, look at the numbers and make sure it makes sense from a financial perspective, too. Yes, it's absolutely right, uh, Justin, because, again, you know, when when employers are looking to staff, they're looking at, okay, I'm going to pay this person $25,000 a year, $30,000 a year. But like you said, they don't take into consideration how much time is going to be the training, the onboarding process. It's right. also those financial ramifications there. Um, when you are a W-2 employee, that employer is required to give you all the resources to do their job. The right. printer, the paper, the space, everything is is to be included on that proposition with a W-2 employee and, of course, then the salary. And, um, and you know, when I'm sitting down with prospective clients and I'm trying to explain this to the, you know, you have to do the formula right to know how much you're really paying because although my rate will be a little bit higher than a W-2 employee, when you add the numbers, I'm actually less expensive right. than a W-2 employee. Right. So, yeah. No, and, that's absolutely uh, Another question for you, based on the three main takeaways, um, Justin, what, uh, what specific area can you help a client with? You mentioned, you know, HR documents and then, you know, the legal legal and accounting uh, advice. Are, are, are all of those areas that you would be able to help your client with? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Everything except the accounting advice, of course. We're, we're not accountants, but we do partner with accountants frequently. Mm -hmm. And so um, we'll work hand in hand with them. But yeah, those are all things we can help with. So if somebody is looking just to get some advice on what makes sense for them, we can do a consultation. We can look at their company structure and, and help them make that decision. And when they're ready to make a decision on that, we can help draft a suite of documents to to help equip them. And um, and if also it makes sense for us to stay on as that fractional general counsel, we can do that too. And we'll we'll stay active to help them with their day-to-day -day legal needs, onboarding employees, and that sort of thing. Really good. Really good. That's um, and, um great information because I could see so many people, you know, it's so easy to do a Google search on, you know, templates yeah. for an HR document or yeah. a, you know, a standard <laughs> form, but I'm sure that there there is a lot of um you know, ways that that it's probably not going to suffice yeah. in any kind of <laughs> right. legal situation. So when, you know, the first step, um, you know, as another maybe takeaway is when you're going to, uh, when you're considering hiring a, an employee, would you suggest would also be, you know, contacting an attorney like, like your firm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. if it's your first hire or it's a large, uh, large um, employee position, like an executive C-level employee, um, definitely a good opportunity for us to get involved. Um, mm -hmm. And typically in those situations, you're going to have a, a more comprehensive document as well. So like if I'm hiring a, a CFO, for instance, you know, that that's a bigger position and we're going to want to make sure it's set up properly. So, yep, absolutely. Um. Justin, I know that you help a lot of small businesses in the area, and you, I, I like that you have what you call a fractional um, program that you want to talk a little bit because people that are listening to this, let's face it, um, people are a little bit hesitant and intimidated to contact a lawyer because they yeah. can be expensive. Mm -hmm. And yeah. especially for small businesses, it's something that kind of they they do what Ada was saying they go to google and get <laughs> these templates and think that they're good to go so yeah. do you can you tell us a little bit about your fractional program and how that helps small businesses sure 
Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Most small business owners, when they think of an attorney, they're thinking expensive and hard to deal with and hard to hard to get a hold of when I need them. And to be fair, attorneys have re- earned that reputation uh, on the whole. Um, they're typically not easy to work with. Their pricing structure is not uh, transparent. And so we flipped that completely on its head. Um, by doing a fractional counsel program. And so this is specifically designed for the small and mid-sized companies who don't want or can't afford a full-time in-house attorney, Um, but they still want that same level of on-demand service. They just don't want the price tag. So that's exactly what we do. And our really our big focus is excellent communication, um, being approachable and being transparent on pricing. And so the fractional program is a monthly subscription. Um, We can give you some additional details. If that sounds like something you're interested in, feel free to reach out to us. Well, first of all, we'll sit down and get to know you and make sure that makes sense because we never try to sell something if it doesn't work for you. Um, But we'll sit down and look at that and look at your company and see if that might be a benefit to you. Yes, because I think this this area of the contract versus hiring, having that consultation with you, it's it's very important. But again, it's one of those things. These are small businesses trying to scale and they say, oh, my gosh, I don't have money to talk to an attorney right now. Right. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that one, I'll add this to the beauty of the fractional program is when we are involved with a company at a deeper level on their day to day. And they know that they can reach out to us and there's there's no fear or anxiety about picking up the phone and calling their attorney. What happens is they start making, they start involving us more. We're able to give them better advice than they would be getting otherwise. And they start making better decisions. They have mm-hmm. less liability, less litigation risk, more peace of mind, more time to focus on the service, the product that they're trying to sell. And they end up doing better as a whole. So um, just a, a neat thing we get to watch happen with our fractional clients. That's that's really good, and I, you know, I appreciate that you put something like that out there for the business community. It's really it's really cool that some somebody in the legal system is seeing things from from a different compassionate empathy um, yep. perspective for those for the business community. Um, but another thing that I wanted to point out in this um, podcast is that, um, like we said in earlier, Justin and I have done the contract versus hiring full presentation. It's a full presentation. It goes over anything and everything you can think about when it comes between contracting versus hiring. And we do have the replay in my website on businessessentialsva.biz. If you go to our website, we have an events page and there is a button for the replay button. So if you want to get a little bit more information about that, you can you can reach that. But um, Justin, thank you so much for being our guest today and sharing such valuable information with us. Um, how can our audience connect with you? Yeah, it's again, my pleasure to be here and hopefully this is valuable to our listeners. Um, best way to connect with us is either via uh, email, website or phone. So whatever's most convenient. If you go to our website, I think that's a good starting point. Um, you, you can learn a little bit more about what we do. We do have a pretty robust resources page too. And so if mm-hmm. you're um, curious about a, a particular topic, go to our resource page. There's a search bar. You can type it in and see what we have available to to help educate you. But um, yeah, if you want to give us a call, our, our phone number is 407-501-5500 or visit us at munizilaw.com. That's M-U-N-I-Z-Z-I. LAW.com. Thank you. We'll add all your contact information in the um, podcast show notes as well. Yes. Thank you so much. I look forward to working with anybody who has questions or just needs some help. We're here to help. Fantastic. Fantastic. 
Well, everyone, if you're hearing this message, you've listened to the entire episode. And for that, we want to thank you. Join us next time as we talk about sales tech tools of the trade with our guest, Jason Webb from Profitable Salesman. Um, let us know what you think about the topic discussed by leaving us a comment and review in our podcast. And if you found some value in the information shared in, the, in this podcast, please subscribe and share our podcast and join the conversation on our Facebook page, Unstuck Your Business, and engage with other entrepreneurs as together we help each other unstuck our business. Until next time. Until next time. Bye.